Well, good morning, church. Good to have you with us today, certainly uh, in the room here and online. I'm going to ask you to help me out a little bit this morning because whenever um, I can look out there, I can see a smile or I can see a some affirmation that actually I'm hitting on all cylinders. So today you're going to have to give me a give me a thing here. You can say help helping Jesus and all that too, because that'll be good. But uh, some, just let us know you're with us. So it looks strange seeing all of you with your mask on, and I can't really see your expression. So I know you're smiling right now, but I can't see it. So if you're smiling, just say hey. There you go. There you go. Okay, good, good. I feel better. As we continue this series, letters from lockdown. What a timely series it is. We find ourselves in unprecedented times. How we navigate this as a church, how we move forward. Psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl <clears throat> wrote about the necessity of hope. For the time he spent as a prisoner in a concentration camp during World War II, he talked about one particular poignant example of the need of hope. It was near the end of the war, and the people had uh, heard rumors that the Allied troops were close. They were about to be liberated. But that Christmas, 1944, <clears throat> between 1944 Christmas and, and New Year's 1945, there were more deaths in the camp than any other time. Not because of a lack of food or even worse conditions, it was that the prisoners had hope that they would be home by Christmas. And when they weren't liberated by Christmas, they felt they had nothing else to live for. They lost hope. They lost focus. He wrote, when a mind lets go, so does its body. But Franco goes on to write this. Everything can be taken from a person but one thing. The last of the human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. To choose one's own way. We've chosen to worship God today because we believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. Now, we're super excited that we're back together in worship. I think collectively we counted... About 300 people were here in the two services uh, at 9 o'clock. Looks similar to uh, in this service as well. We um, certainly welcome all those still watching online. We anticipated today being a great celebration. The music's been wonderful. But it still feels different, doesn't it? We're all sitting here in face masks. We, uh, our friends aren't all with us because some are still you know, staying home to be safe. With the surge in the coronavirus, we know we have some difficult days ahead. But I want to say to you this morning, don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't give in to the frustration. Don't become discouraged. Choose hope. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 43.5. The question, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I'll put my hope in God. I will praise him again my Savior, and my God. Will you put your hope in God today? Let me see your hand. Put your hope in God today. Don't become discouraged. Don't give in to frustration. Don't give up. Now, we began this series two weeks ago 
talking how Paul, who was in prison, who was in lockdown, who was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, chose joy. He chose joy. He used the word mind, uh, I think, seven times in his passage to change the mindset. You know, Jesus Christ didn't come to change our mood. He came to change our minds by coming into our hearts. Last week, Trevor did a great job talking how Jesus came to be our model in lockdown, that he came to be a servant. He laid down his life. And this week, I want to talk about chapter 3 of Philippians. And, and Paul talks about this priceless gift we have in Jesus. Let me read it to you from Philippians chapter 3, beginning verse 8. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith. Righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, not works, not effort, not energy, but on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Father God, I pray that this morning that you will awaken in all of us a hunger for righteousness, a hunger <clears throat> to know you more, to know you better, <clears throat> to know who Jesus Christ really is, to have a personal relationship, to experience the power of the resurrection, to grow our faith, to put our trust completely in you. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. During this lockdown, we've been reminded of what's precious, of what's priceless. Our faith, our family, our friends, our community, our church, our health. Friday morning, some of our men gathered here outside to prayer walk our campus to get ready for this opening. And in my devotion with them, I talked to them about the exile, how God's people were taken by the Babylonians and put into exile for 70 years. 70 years in lockdown. And when they finally started coming back to Israel, they had a new perspective on what was priceless. They had a new perspective on what was precious. They recaptured the faith of their childhood. They repented and turned away from idols. They remembered the story of God's faithfulness and deliverance. And they were restored in their walk with God. I hope that we don't forget when this lockdown is over what really is important. And it's got to start with our faith. It's got to start with knowing Christ Jesus better. It continues with family and friends. You know, before Paul was a believer in Jesus, he was very religious. And he thought he, he, thought he had to manufacture his own righteousness by good works. And he was on a road to Damascus to lead a violent protest against the early church. But there on that dusty road 
to Damascus, Jesus appeared, revealed himself to Paul, and Paul fell to his knees, and his life was changed. It was changed because he discovered that he could have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not a religious relationship, but a personal relationship. And as Paul got to know Jesus, he realized that Jesus had already done everything that Paul had been trying to do to make himself right with God. Friends, the favor that we have with God, the friendship we have with God is based on the priceless gift of what Jesus Christ did for us. That Jesus Christ has given us a gift, a relationship with God when we come to him and confess our need for him, our sins, and he washes them away. Now, make no mistake how priceless this gift is. God did not lower his standards of righteousness. God does not sweep your sins, my sins, under the rug. Jesus' scars, Jesus' pain, Jesus' suffering, Jesus' death on a cross removes the guilt of my sins, removes the power of sin in my life. And with this precious gift, this priceless gift, Paul writes about the power of resurrection. Now, my friends, as we battle a pandemic, as we battle racial tension in our country, we battle sin and evil, we need to understand the power of resurrection. And that's what Paul was writing about. He said, I want to know more about resurrection. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul was not talking about knowing more facts about Jesus, knowing more doctrine, more theology, more history. Nothing wrong with those things. It's good to read and study and learn the history, the doctrines, the theology. But we've got to know who Jesus is. We don't need to know about Jesus. We need to know him personally. And that's what Paul is talking about here. You know, I can know about you by looking at your social media pages. But I don't really know you. I don't get to know you to uh, we sit down and talk with each other. We, we get to know each other in community, in a group, in a, in a conversation, through serving together, walking through life together. Paul wanted to know Jesus and the power of the resurrection. He wanted to know his presence. He wanted to know his peace. He wanted to walk in his purpose. See, I don't believe we can really get to know Jesus unless we want to walk with him in his purpose. We can know about Jesus, but when we walk with him in purpose, in service, and becoming a servant that Trevor did such a great job talking about last week, then we start to know who Jesus is. Now, this is the hard part of this teaching this morning, that knowing Christ, Paul says, means I've got to have a willingness to suffer with Christ. We're always looking for ways to get out of suffering, right? How can life be easier? How can life be better? But Paul says here, I want to know 
how to suffer with Christ. And, and let me just say this. I believe there's a huge difference between suffering for Christ and suffering with Christ. I don't believe we're called to suffer for Christ. I believe we're called to suffer with Christ. And that makes a huge difference because that means that Jesus Christ is with me in my suffering. In fact, he told his disciples, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. He said in John 16, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world and I'll be with you no matter what you go through, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's a trial, a tribulation, I'll be with you. To suffer means I don't suffer alone. It also means my suffering has a purpose. See, Jesus didn't suffer in vain. He was willing to suffer for a purpose so that he could pay the penalty for the sins of the world. You know, to suffer without a purpose is just to be masochistic, right? No purpose. I want to have a purpose in my suffering. I want to take up my cross and follow Jesus for his purpose, to, to live into his will, to live into his mission, to fulfill his kingdom on the earth. Jesus didn't suffer in, in vain. He, he, he didn't suffer just to give people a better life. Do you hear that? He didn't suffer to give people a better life. He suffered to give people a new life. He suffered to give people salvation. You know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have a better life. We have social agencies that are committed to giving people a better life. We pay taxes so our government, so our agencies can give people a better life. But as Christians, we promote a teaching and a belief that Jesus came to give new life. He came to give resurrection life. He came to give victory in our life. Jesus warned us that if you have a better life and only have a better life, what, what good does it profit a person to gain the whole world? They have the best of everything, but lose their soul. What have you gained? Nothing. When we pray for people to get well, we pray for people who have disease, who are battling sickness. We need to be praying that they're getting well spiritually. Because what good does it do a person to get better physically if they never get better spiritually? So it's both and, right? We, we, we're, we're not against a better life. We're not against a better way. But let's also make sure that we talk about the way and new life, not just better life. Suffering with Jesus gives us the power to overcome our pain. Suffering equips us with the joy in the midst of pain because there's a purpose in the pain. Suffering gives us the hope that we're a part of something greater than ourselves. We're a part of his kingdom here on the earth and in the kingdom to come. I believe when we start to know the power of the resurrection, we'll find the power to finally let go of the past. Can I get a hand raised with that? We need to know the power of the resurrection to let go of the past. Now, again, I'm not talking about throwing the past away. I'm talking about being controlled by the past by being controlled by past mistakes. Colossians, Paul writes this, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled, say canceled. We hear that word a lot today, right? 
the cancel culture, right? Well, Jesus came to cancel the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. I like that cancel, that he canceled my sins. There's a purpose in the power of the resurrection to let go of the past. I love the word conciliation. Conciliation means to make peace. Jesus Christ came for the purpose of conciliation, to create a relationship, to create a friendship. And that's what Paul's writing about. He has this friendship. He has this relationship because God has made peace with him and he's made peace with God. Canceled sins, conciliation. I love what Rick Warren says. Jesus Christ came because he knows the things we've done wrong, but he did not come to rub them in. He came to rub them out. He did not come to condemn us. He came to change us. That is the power of the resurrection to let go of the past. But also in the resurrection, you have the power to start over a new beginning, a new life. Colossians again, chapter one, this includes you, you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has what reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you where? Into his presence. We've been brought into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's writing about. I want to know him more. I want to know more about his presence. I want to know more about his power. I want to know more about his peace. I want to know more about his purpose for my life. Brought into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Power to start over and hear this. The resurrection gives us power to keep going. The power to keep going. The prefix R-E, re, means to repeat. It means to do it again and again and again. And whenever we've been reconciled with Christ, reconciled with God through Christ, that's a one-time thing. It's a one-time event. God, through Jesus Christ on a cross, reconciled us with him. But every day I've got to repent. Every day I've got to be reconciled with God. And, and here's this. God has given us then the ministry of reconciliation. We are to do it over and over and over and over till we get it right. And it's a long journey of reconciliation. How long does it take? As long as it takes. In this world we live in right now, in the midst of a new awareness of even more racial injustice, we are called to, first of all, be reconciled with God and then to be agents of reconciliation. Again and again and again and again, as long as it takes to make things right. Now, Paul says this after talking about the power of the resurrection. He says this, and we need to hear this this morning, this as long as it takes. He says in, in verse 12, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and reach the heavenly prize which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. How do we press on? We need to have a healthy dissatisfaction. 
You see, Paul says about himself that he's not pleased with where he is. I can be better. I can do better. He made an honest assessment of himself, a healthy dissatisfaction. Do you have a healthy dissatisfaction with yourself? That I'm a work in progress? That God is not finished with me yet? Do you have a healthy dissatisfaction with the things that, with things the way they are in the world right now? That things can be better? That things can be more peaceful if we address the issues that need to be addressed? A healthy dissatisfaction. Now, well, sometimes we never get there because we have unhealthy dissatisfaction. Is we realize that we're not where we want to be and we give up and we think it's too hard and I just can't get there. How many of you have an unhealthy dissatisfaction with your health? I know I need to eat better. I know I need to exercise more, but I just can't do it. And so we have this unhealthy dissatisfaction. And instead, we're called to have a healthy dissatisfaction, right? That I, I got some things I need to work on, and, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to be committed to it. I'm going to become better at what I do. And I believe in order to have a healthy dissatisfaction, we need to have a holy dissatisfaction. What does that mean to have a holy dissatisfaction? It means that I recognize my weaknesses. I recognize my strengths. But with God's help, with God's help, with the Holy Spirit's help, I can become who I need to be. I love Proverbs 28, 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. People who hide their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. You know what confessing our sins means? It means that we agree with God that we've got some problems. That we, God, I confess my sins, that, that I've got some things I gotta work on. That I, I, I keep saying the wrong things. I keep doing the wrong things. I did it again yesterday. I did it again today. I'm gonna do it tomorrow probably. Lord, I, I need your help. I need some holy dissatisfaction. The word press on in the Greek means I extend myself. I overextend myself. I stretch myself. I push myself. God is more concerned with the direction and our determination than he is our pace. He wants us to be determined. Paul did not give up. He was determined to finish his God-given purpose. But one of the last things that Paul says in this passage is this. He talks about in verse 15, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. If you believe that God has made some progress in your life, will you raise your hand? Are you, are you further along in your faith than you were a year ago, six months ago? I would hope that during this pandemic, we've made progress in our faith and we've reestablished some priorities in this pandemic. Paul says, hold on to the progress. I believe this church has made progress during this pandemic. We're reaching more people than ever through an online presence. We've learned new ways of doing ministry. I believe I'm a better communicator. I don't know if I'm a better preacher or not, but I spent three months looking at a camera, talking into a camera versus talking to people. Hopefully that's gonna make me better at communicating. Progress, right? Hold on to that stuff. Now I would say that as a country, we've made some progress in our history. Hold on to the progress. But also know that your progress in faith, the church's progress in faith, my progress in faith, 
the progress our country has made is a never-ending battle. Can I get a say our hand on that? And why is that? Because there's an evil one who's always trying to derail our progress. There's an evil one who's always trying to disrupt. You know, Jesus said, be careful about the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come to give you life and life abundant, but there is one who is trying to steal, kill, and destroy your progress. You take two steps forward, he wants you to take a step backward. Do you not see that there's an evil presence in our world bringing disruption into our personal Christian lives and in our world? Stirring the pot. The demons are rejoicing in violence and destruction. God is wanting to heal, wanting to move us forward in progress. You know, Paul's determination was never about himself. He was, he was determined that you and me and the church would hold on and, 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 and proceed in progress. Don't give up, church. Don't give up, people. Keep on keeping on. I heard a story this week that really blessed me. It was a story of a Kentucky football player. Got to put a little Kentucky in there. It's been three months. You know, I've not said anything about Kentucky. So, But A.J. Rose, a running back at the University of Kentucky, he started out as, a, he's a great young man. He, he started as an Eagle Scout. He, he loves uh, uh, scouting and is a leader in his community in scouting. And uh, what you don't know about A.J. Rose, I didn't know this about A.J. Rose, and he was a really good running back uh, at Kentucky. But his grandfather was a police officer. And his father was in security and was a police officer. And A.J. Rose, a football player, has two goals in life. One is to be a professional football player, to be a running back in the NFL. You know what his second goal is? Is to be an undercover police officer. And they asked A.J. Rose last week during some of the protest march in Lexington, Kentucky, that the football team took part of like the Gamecocks did and the Tigers did here in South Carolina. They asked A.J. Rose, as an African-American young man, why in the world would you want to be a police officer in the climate of our world right now? And A.J. AJ Rose said this. He said, I'm aware that there's some problems among some law enforcement. But as I look at my grandfather, I look at my dad, I know there's been a lot of progress he says, you know what? I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Can I get a show of hands on that? I want to be part of the solution, not a part of the problem. As a pastor, I want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. This past Wednesday, I spent some great time on Facebook Live talking with Bishop Jonathan Holston, our African-American bishop here in South Carolina. And we talked about how together we can be a part of the solution and not part of the problem. On Thursday, Trevor and I spent some time talking to uh, uh, the pastor at Journey Church, the largest attended predominantly African-American church. We talked with him and his associate, and we talked about how we can be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And we're going to strategize on how we can do that together as two churches, two of the largest churches in the South Carolina annual conference, George Ashford and his associate being part of the solution. Now, I was reading that the motto for the elite swim rescue team for the Coast Guard is this, so others may live. So others may live. Paul wanted to press on so that others could live, so that others could come to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't quit on the cross 
so others could live. Paul didn't give up in prison so others could live. We don't give up as a church so others can live. I don't quit as a pastor so others can live. Our God never gives up. Don't you give up. Our God doesn't give up. Don't you give up so others can live. In closing, Tony Bullimore was a very experienced sailor from England. He was in the midst of a two-month around-the-world race in a 60-foot yacht when it capsized in a crazy storm in the Southern Ocean. 50-foot waves broke off his keel. The boat turned upside down. He said it was like being in Niagara Falls upside down. For four days, he was in a dark, noisy, wet tomb. An upside-down world with 50-foot swells, temperatures around freezing. As his air supply diminished, he prayed to be rescued. He prayed that somebody would show up. And using satellite imagery, the Royal Australian Navy the Australian Coast Guard came to his rescue. After four days, he heard somebody knocking on the side of his yacht. And when he emerged, he said this, thank God, it's a miracle. I feel like I've been born again all over. I feel like a new man. I feel like I've been brought back to life. One journalist wrote about it and said, a rescue that succeeds all odds and every expectation is the best of all stories. It's pure and spontaneous joy. My friends, the greatest rescue ever is when God sent his son into this world to go to a cross, to die for the sins of the world so he could rescue the world that was in a tomb, in a world full of darkness, a world where a thief is coming to steal, kill, and destroy and to give life, new life. But not just new life, eternal life. The power of the resurrection has come in Jesus Christ. I can look back on my life and I can see there were some times when I was sinking. I was in trouble, but Jesus Christ was there. He reached out his hand and rescued me. If he's rescued you, would you raise your hand this morning? Jesus Christ has rescued me. I was sinking. I was going down. I didn't know I was going to make it. But through a friend, through a sermon, through a song, through a parent, through a coach, through a doctor, through a teacher, he showed up and he rescued me. Maybe today you feel like you're in a tomb. Your world's upside down. The Bible says that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And if you will open the door, he will come into your life. He can turn your prison into praise. He can turn your despair into delight. He can turn your tomb into a temple. Come into your heart, the temple of God right here. He can turn your graves into a garden. Father God, Right now, I thank you that you came on the greatest rescue mission the world's ever seen. You came into our world in the person of Jesus and you allowed your son 
to die on a cross to rescue us from our sins. Father God, right now, if there's someone here listening, someone online listening, they, you're knocking on the door of their heart. Their world is upside down. The waves are crashing in. The storm is violent. <clears throat> the despair is deep. Father God, you're knocking through Jesus Christ on the door of their heart. And I pray that right now they would open the door, confess their need for you, let you forgive them of their sins, and come in and set up your temple right in their heart. And you'll give them peace. You'll give them power. You'll give them purpose. And your presence will be with them now and forever. Father God, thank you right now for turning graves in the garden. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.